Join me in Orbit with Paradigm, a talk show and open discussion featuring innovative founders from our community, where we discuss topics ranging from venture funding, business design, strategic marketing, product development, and everything in between. Hard work and dedication are no longer enough to be successful in any trade. You must have a fundamental understanding of the industry, be aware of best practices and avenues for success if you wish to thrive rather than just survive in your market. Let InOrbit arm you with the tools necessary for success. Expand your network, develop a keen business sense, learn from others' mistakes, and grow personally and professionally along the way. If you're motivated to cultivate your business, share your ideas, and foster your entrepreneurial spirit, then the Vortex might be for you. Go check it out at paradigm.cx slash vortex. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Yeah, here's the truth. That's what I was Only thinking. you will remember your failures. Um, everyone else will remember, remember your And success. Facebook when they remember five years yeah. ago. <laughs> hey, man, you remember five years ago when you were in love? <laughs> like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Facebook. Yeah, so that's a good question. So the 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 power Bible, the way that I describe the power Bible to people is this: um, the power Bible is a, is a book about winning conversations that matter. So that's it. That's the that is the. It's about sometimes you're in conversations that matter, and how do you win them? And sometimes winning them is important. And you can define yeah. winning as whatever, however you want to define. It's getting what you want. Yeah. Right. So uh, that conversation begins inside of yourself, and for the past uh, thirty four years, I've been attempting to win a conversation with myself. How old are you? My, my co- I'm 34. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and my, uh, my co-author, who's uh, now 30, he's, um, he's been spending the last 30 years trying to do the same. And at the losing end of that conversation, I found myself homeless and I found myself in debt and a lot of debt. And, uh, you know, I knew my life strategies just weren't working. And he found himself addicted to drugs. He found himself in some scary places in his life. And we had to reevaluate what was going on. And him and I are really similar people, both philosophy students. You know, I went to, I mean, I should have known that something was maybe gonna end up, you know, financially incorrect in my life when I was like, what a major in philosophy. You know what I mean? <laughs> when I ask really good questions, like what's the meaning of life and do you right. have any change? Uh, it was- Get Down to the meat of it. Was, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. So I, uh, I, I'd like to say also that the, the book is the book that we wish that we had during the most difficult time that we were working through those sort of personal life circumstances. And, um, and it was, I mean, it's been, it's been good. I mean, I, I reread the book myself now and listen to the audiobook, which just was released um, on Audible and Amazon, which thankfully has been selling really well, actually. Um, it's people really like it, but uh, it, I listen back to the audiobook. I read the book myself because I, I need to remind myself of these, you know, of the principles that we talk about in the book, how to win conversations that matter. And that starts with your the conversation you have with yourself. So have you always been uh, confident enough to stand up in front of people? Like I know you do stand up comedy now, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've done so you stand, stand up in front for... of people. I mean, that's every time I, I even get on a, you know, an interview call, I always get that like little jitter a stage fright or whatever, just talking to other people. I mean, I think everybody can relate to that, but how do you do it? It doesn't go away. How do you, yeah, yeah, I didn't think so because I've been doing public speaking since I was like 
12, my mom ran a club for that. And I, your mother ran a club for public speaking. What was the club? It was a Wapaco and it was this part of the NCFCA. My brother won like national championship awards. My sister won awards. And then there was me who like (laughs) just gave a few speech, a bunch of speeches, but you know, I was, I was too young to go to nationals. But like uh, I had that experience and I still find every time it's just the nerves are there. So like having that confidence is more than just experience. It's, it's answering some questions inside of you about who you really are. Right. Well, I think that, I mean, look, the question, who are you really is a question that you answer on. I mean, it's, it's ongoing. Right, that, right, there's right. a great quote from Alan Watts where he says who you are is really who you will be that your every moment is, I think this, they talk about this in the book being and becoming where he talk, he mentions that it's like you're, you're, you are a series of ongoing changes. So who you are, you know, when people present themselves, like they're this history of accomplishments or things that they've been doing, like it's true. I've done stand up comedy and I've been on stage doing improv for 20 years. I started when I was 14 and I know. Right. And why am I not famous? Right. (laughs) But (laughs) it, that's that's not you know what I mean. I could right. stop doing stand up comedy. I mean, I haven't done stand up comedy in months thanks to the mm-hmm. pandemic. The last time I did it really was in June. I featured at a show in Portland, Oregon. And mm. what I mean, what I have to do if I want to remain a comic, think about myself, is is practice doing comedy somehow. You know, mm-hmm. so you can't be a stand up comic without getting up and telling jokes to people. But that's yeah. what a sense of self is, I think. And it's interesting because. You know, another question that I get a lot when I've been doing sort of podcasts to promote the book is people are like, why, why would somebody, you know, the book is about frame control ostensibly and winning conversations that matter. And they're like, why would a stand-up comic know a lot about frame control or winning conversations that matter? And the answer to that is you are constantly in conversation with the audience doing stand-up right. comedy. You're constantly trying to win. Well, people think conversation over. is just verbal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that they're, you know, they're laughing at what you're saying is their tacit agreement to the frame that you're presenting. You know, if I say things, you know, if I say something, uh, you know, ridiculous and controversial on stage, uh, but then I win the audience over and they start laughing because the punchline of the joke is funny. They've, they agreed that everything I said is correct, basically. Like I have a joke where I talk about I'm in an airport and I see two kids running around. They're causing all kinds of trouble. And their parents, I look over, I'm butchering, I'm going to butcher this joke because it takes a while to go through. But the, the premise basically is I look over at their parents, what are their parents doing? And their parents are just delighted that their kids are not screwing their lives up for like five minutes. So they don't care that their kids are running around causing trouble. And I was like, look, man, these kids, they're just running around. They're causing trouble. They're, you know, they're stealing stuff. They're messing up everybody else's day. Okay. Don't pretend like you can't do anything about it hit them and the punchline go hit your kids like when i designed this whole situation is like it's obviously it's ridiculous like people are not for you know hurting children that's right. terrible but we also but the point of the joke is like look if you agreed that these children are acting ridiculous and you agreed that the parents are not doing anything and that's bad then you have to agree that i'm right and you need to go hit these kids so that so, the, the point that i'm saying is that at any point during that joke uh, you can lose the audience because they not, might not agree with any given part of that. So you're winning that conversation continuously mm-hmm. with the audience. So in some ways, it's a very binary interaction because you essentially have to validate your logic and, and your conversation with either a yes or no from them. Yeah, I mean, them laughing is yes. Yeah. Um, them not laughing is no. I mean, you could also say that them groaning a little bit is yes. Them, 
you know, there's, there's different right, audiences. Right. The worst thing you can get is nothing. But if you get any kind of reaction from the audience, that's essentially it's a funny. yes. It's kind of like you're interacting with a baby, like a really live baby. A really, I, uh, yeah, you're interacting with, <laughs> a, with a big, dumb baby. Yeah, <laughs> I have a three-month-old, and that's about the extent of her responses. Either she screams at you, or she just has a blank stare, or she's cackling, like laughing. Yeah, and you, <laughs> Sam, you have a three-month-old. Sam, how do you have a baby, and you're doing a podcast, and your client relations at, at, at your day job, and like, what do you, come on, man. What do you, what do you not, how many balls I'm also founding a company in my spare time, so that's yeah. a different what? story. What, sp what spare time? Do you, what do you just not sleep? Do you have Not like much. some kind of <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. I mean, I mean even with three month old sleep in ten hours a night, which is incredible for a three month old. Yeah. I still don't sleep very much. <laughs> I just I'm, 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 I'm like she's asleep, I, I can work. <laughs> I should I want to read your book, Sam. Like I don't is, have a book, man. How, how do uh, I do any of this stuff? Yeah, I don't well, have time to time, write a book. <laughs> you don't have time to write it. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been a wild ride. But I think uh I started reading your book in the in the time I did have. I think I read it on while sitting on the toilet for, for a few minutes. Nice. That's like yeah, the extent great. of my spare time when I'm, <laughs> yeah, but it was it's good. Great it was toilet good reader. Yeah, it was good stuff. And I think that, um, finding my own, my own ability to navigate conversations and stand up for myself has been a lifelong journey is still an ongoing journey. I mean, it's like, like you said, it's, we keep iterating on ourselves. We keep finding the next way to improve ourselves, Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the book? I'm curious. Like I only read a few chapters or, or a few pages actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's fine. I appreciate you being honest about it. The, um, the, so the book basically is a series of conversations that, so this is, I'm going to give you the unadulterated truth of how this book came together. Cause I could yeah. act like it was like this big, huge, just this is monumental. Like we, you know, Hey man, we, it's we, still impressive. You got a book on Amazon. Yeah, published. Know, right? yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> lightning struck me in the middle of the night and I woke up and, the voice of God was in my head. No, it's not James Alter writing the foreword. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was so the, the emphasis behind this book was I'm going to be I'm going to be completely honest with you is that there is this idea in economics that, you know, if there is an available resource, the uh, the the availability of it um, is related to its value. So it's not that it's not that, I mean, there's supply and demand, but the idea is mm -hmm. that if there's a lot of something and nobody's using it, it's because there's no demand, but that available resource, if it were able to be monetized, would be a great location to, to get um, right. some money out of. So I realized uh, a few years ago, this is about two, it's actually two years ago next month that uh, I was like, what do I have a lot of in my life that I'm not, I'm not using, I'm not figuring out how to, get any uh, monetization from or something. And what I realized is that me and my co-author, William Petit, uh, mm -hmm. have conversations all the time about frame control and how to win how to win over others, how to win conversations that matter. We, we talk about it all the time. It's a nonstop mm -hmm. conversation. And I've been friends with him for five years now. So it's been nonstop. And before I was friends with him, I also talked about this a lot. It's very, right. we love other people. We love, you know, social dynamics and interesting you know, interest in, in power relationships and, and how people win those conversations publicly. So that's why we're both students of philosophy. And so I basically one day just said to him, um, after we both had talked with James actually about some things going on in his life. And I was like, look, let's, um, let's actually just start recording these conversations and just figure out if it, if there's anything here. 
And we, that's what we did. We transcribed a series of conversations we had. And that in a way was almost like the first rough draft of this book. It was I like, love it. Yeah. I just, I got the transcript and I was like, Oh shit, this, this is actually, inter- like, this is really yeah. good stuff that like I need to remind myself of. And so um, the first whack that we took at this book is we just decided to outline things we knew were true and that we noticed kept coming up in conversations with one another and then with other people that we, we talked to this about. And uh, we just kind of riffed on it back and forth and went down the rabbit hole. And, and that first version of the book, to be honest, Sam, was like 600 pages long. It was huge. It was enormous. It was a lot of talk that we had. And we had to boil that down. We cut it down by about two thirds to about 200 and pages. Who, who transcribed this? Uh, we had we had a couple of uh, assistants who went through and and just transcribed all this down between the conversations and then and then Bill and I honestly sat down and sifted through it and mm-hmm. and we're like okay these are the most interesting points and some parts we arranged like over here we had we talk about identity and over here we talk about sense of self those really should be in the same section over here we talk about emotion over here we talk about emotion those should be in the same section so it was kind of a lot of arrangement once we got this out of our brains. And the long part of the book was not the actual writing of it in the sense Mm -hmm. that, you know, the the series of conversations we had, I think we basically had the book done in about two months, but for the next, you know, 19 months, we edited that book because it was a lot. It was just a lot that we cut out of it. And so that's eventually what became the power Bible was just, here's just the densest, most useful, most interesting parts that we could glean out of that sort of long conversation. And then it's kind of weird because then we, when we recorded the audio book, it was like, we already had this conversation once. <laughs> so like now here we are recording it a second time. It was a little you, weird. Yeah. That at least it was, it was a little like, bit like more condensed. Like, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if like somebody shot a documentary and then later they like read here's the documentary of how we made the documentary. Now. Yeah. And then here's the movie of the documentary. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty bizarre actually. So, uh, yeah, but that was basically how that all came together. Nice. And I mean, James, you know, was going to say James was part of this whole situation because we would send him a lot bits of the book and he mm-hmm. just, he really loved it. You know, it was all about it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's been a, a big part of the process through the whole nice. thing. So I actually, did he give his feedback on it. Like did he give his critiques yeah. as you guys were writing it? Yeah. He gave us a lot of feedback. He gave us a lot of critiques. He really enjoyed reading a lot of the sections. He's, probably still to this day he's probably the person who's read the book the most um because he's read it uh i don't know i think he said he's read it a dozen or two dozen times or something and and he um you know he he loved it so much that he's including in his next book uh skip the line he's including a chapter from our book in his book because he's like this is really good and i want to put this in here so I'm, i'm excited yeah he's uh he's he's you know done us uh Clearly what we do is useful for a lot of people. We have five, yeah. you know, five star review of the book on yeah. Amazon right now. We get a lot of good feedback on it, but um, so clearly it's useful, but he, you know, he's really helped indicate to us sort of the value and helped us out a lot. So that's great. Yeah. So for people working in sales or marketing and trying to interact with, trying to interact with and close on on deals with clients that kind of interaction you guys go over how to win conversations like that yeah i mean my background is in sales so Mm -hmm. it's weird because you know i've done comedy for 10 years uh pardon me 20 years jesus Mm -hmm. uh 
It's just time flies, man. <laughs> you missed uh, a decade. I've done comedy for 20 years. I was 14 when I started improv, 16 when I started doing stand-up regularly. But my day job has been in uh, sales and particularly early pipeline sales development, which mm-hmm. is basically cold calls, cold emails. How do you take, I mean, I have a track record of working at startups and being successful at startups in which people don't know you and we have no brand presence mm-hmm. and we're able to somehow develop a conversation for people we've never spoken with before to get them to interested in purchasing and walking them through the pipeline. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And what I, what I learned, uh, sorry, go ahead. If you have a question. Oh, no, I was just going to say that sounds extremely applicable for everyone who would be listening to my podcast right now. I'm just saying for the listeners, that is what you need. That is what you need to be able to do. Well, if you want to, I mean, this book is good for that. I also have a second book called uh, Cold Call Like a Comedian, which is, I learned really quickly that, oh, improv, turns out improv and stand-up comedy has a ton of lessons that translate exactly into this, into this realm. Right. How, is, right. how is that possible? I mean, things like word economy, um, hmm. things like, uh, I mean, rapport gaining, uh, asking good questions, um, understanding hmm. and thinking about, you know, thinking about, uh, bits talk tracks like bits yeah. instead of like telling you about the product like uh, a lot of it's psychology of-, of the human mind right you're you're navigating a pathway and keeping people interested enough to keep talking yeah that's correct and yeah. it, a lot of it has to, i mean it's a performance it's a short mm-hmm. performance if you're a stand-up right. comic you got, you got about 15 seconds to make the audience laugh so you better believe that whatever you open with has got to be pretty good Right. And you've got to leave strong so you got to close on something really yeah. good and essentially, i'm seeing more and more of the correlation here yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's a set. You have to if you don't make the audience laugh every at most fifteen to thirty seconds um, on stage, you're gonna lose them. And if you are on a cold call and somebody picks up and you don't have something ready to go, you're gonna lose. I mean, same thing. You're gonna lose them. So right. understanding what words and how to say them and how to communicate them in a way that causes the person on the other end to get a mental picture of what you're talking about. I mean, here's 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 the deepest correlation is that. You know, when you're doing comedy, you're using language to essentially interact with people's minds, but the pieces you're moving around are not words. They're whatever attachments and associations the person, really anybody in the audience has in their own mind uh, with the material that you're discussing. So when I say, you know, when I use, when I say like a car or something, uh, it, it, you have a joke in my act where I go, uh, I was, I'm with a guy and we're in Park Falls, Wisconsin, we're in the middle of nowhere, and he, um, he wants to go find a restaurant, and he calls a Starbucks, and he says to the woman on the phone, can we find your rest, where is your restaurant located? And it was just like one of these, it was hilarious to me, because yeah. I'm like, that's not what that, and I was like, even the woman on the phone was confused. Like, she was <laughs> like, I'm sorry, what? You mean, the, you mean the cafe where we serve bad coffee and bad, like, baked goods? Is that what you're talking about? Like, it just, and then in my mind, I just thought it was hilarious because I'm like, can you imagine this guy on a date? Like, he would take this woman, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to take you to my favorite restaurant. And they show up at Starbucks. Starbucks. And she's like, wait, what? Like, yeah, it just would be no. the weirdest. And, and so then the joke continues. Like, he walks in and he's like, pardon me, can I get a glass of coffee? <laughs> like nobody these are words that just slightly nobody uses correctly it's like somebody you know somebody drives up in a truck and they go oh nice car and you're like what are you talking this is a pickup truck like i i yeah. you know you're almost correct like or so, my wife calls everything pants just yeah or even pants. better <laughs> even better in england pants are underwear so oh that would be yeah, yeah she 
that'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had some English relatives who came over and my, uh, my, my cousin's uh, son is like five. And yeah. I was like, Noah, you, you probably don't want to wear pants today. And I meant it was going to be hot. He should wear uh, shorts. Right. He was just like, what? <laughs> is there something I need to know? Yeah, what are you talking about? And so, yeah, that's bring like two pairs of, really... of pants, actually. So I say that because like those mental associations are what you're actually dealing with when you're mm-hmm. in front of an audience on stage. And the same is true with, uh, you know, a lot of SDRs or salespeople go wrong when they start talking about their product in their terms. So right. as an example, I mean, this will be applicable to your audience. You know, I, mm-hmm. a lot of times when, you know, here's what I think of as sales development. You're, or, or really like inside sales, whatever. So you're the, you know, the Sturmgranater from like the first world war. You're on the front line and you've got, you got to have this toolkit of, 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 pardon the French, of shit that you can use if you exactly. get into any given situation. You yeah. know what I mean? So if I'm talking to a, you know, let's say I, I have a, you know, an IT platform. If I'm speaking with a DevOps person, I can speak in DevOps language. I'm talking to a, uh, marketing tech person, I can talk in marketing tech language. Like these, this is typically how this thing works. But when, when this, you know, when sales development runs into trouble, it's because there's some, just like in the first world war, there's some general, there's some executive who's not close to the action at all. Who's going to say something like, don't refer to us as a toolbox, refer to us as a platform. And then you're like, okay, well, when I say toolbox, people have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. But when I say platform, they get it. You know what I mean? So, right. That kind of, and part of, again, sorry if, uh, if, if this is a not explicit podcast, maybe you can just boot me or something. Yeah. The, <laughs> we um, try to keep it family friendly, but. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> you're, I forget. I'm talking with someone in North Carolina. So the, but the point that I'm making. Bible Belt, is, man. Bible Belt. Yeah. Bible Belt. Yeah. I mean, the point that I'm making is that the, you know, the, 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 this, this, this is a real problem. I worked at a marketing technology company that had a quote boutique agency like services group and that's the way that we wanted to talk about it but the way that i would say it on the phone is we have an internal agency or we are an agency with our own tools is another way that i would put it and that would resonate with people a lot faster on the phone because you're dealing with the science of this is called semiotics and Mm -hmm. you know you're dealing with somebody else's mental furniture. And so I don't want to try to insert my mental furniture. My job is only to use their mental furniture to try to give them an idea of what we're doing. So we talk about that in the Power Bible also, that those associations, that's what you're dealing with, is you're dealing with that stuff in their head. That's what frame control is about. So how many languages do you know? Uh, I mean, I speak a lot of English. Uh, <laughs> I also speak French. I speak a small amount of German. So uh, learning other languages definitely helps you realize the importance of this because a word is only as much as the meaning behind that word to the person. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so the, uh, this is what's in the philosophy of languages is known as WVO Klein's theory of agreement, which is that there's language only exists in so far that there's some agreement on the term. Right. And frame control takes place around this a lot. And so, you know, the example I used recently on another podcast was talking about how um, the term, I mean, not to be controversial. And I, I sincerely don't mean this to be controversial, but it's just you can be controversial. Sense. You can be totally, okay, I like controversial. Okay. <laughs> so the, the term, so the term racism publicly is being, is being talked about a lot and mm-hmm. it, it, it's meaning is obviously relevant because we live in a society that 
unless you're a, devi- a complete social deviant, we all agree racism is bad and we think yeah, it's wrong yeah. and it needs to go away. Exactly. So, yeah. And so, but the question is, what is that? Because if, right. if what that is, is what I would say the traditional definition of racism is, which is someone who's discriminatory to another person based on their country of origin, ethnicity, um, or right. skin color, that, that, uh, that definition of racism isn't helpful if you believe that racism is an, is the sort of new, almost like postmodern um, Marxist definition, which is that it's an interlocking system of power that oppresses people who are kept out of the reins of power. Because if that's the truth, then just being somebody who's like, I don't like racism isn't helpful. You know what I mean? And it doesn't right. help dismantle those power relationships. So huh. there's a... There's a there's a public conversation that's going on right now in the United States and, and really broadly, I think, in, in whatever you want to call the West, that is which one of these terms is the correct term that we should apply to this situation. Mm-hmm. And the 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 result of that conversation, which is if we can redefine that term, that will actually cause us culturally to want to shift our approach to to tackling racism because we all agree right. that it's wrong. That's a frame battle that's happening publicly right now. So yeah. those words actually are important and they do mean something. And that's a big, a big part of this. It's funny that you said that, or at least defined it in that order, because I took this class in, in college like uh, several years ago and I, I studied interdependence and race. And there was a whole class on dyadic interactions, how people interact with other people. And one of the things they defined racism as institutionalized injustice or institutionalized prejudice against people based on their you know, color, religious beliefs, etc. But people define racism as what we actually should be defining as bigotry, which is acting upon prejudice or yep. preconceived notion about someone. But the way you defined it was almost like a new way of viewing it for me because I saw it's not just how we define the word, but how we take action based on our definition of the word. And if yeah. we're just saying, oh, we're not institutional, we're not part of the institution, you're not helping. You're really yeah, not well, helping. See, yeah, well, I mean, and that's part of, so this is interesting, Stan, because like that's part of that. So that's why what you, you know, however you want to define, let's say, like the, I don't, some people say the new left or some people mm-hmm. say, that's um, crazy. you know, whatever. Marxist or postmodern left or however you want, whatever you want to describe it. It's like, that's why the term anti-racist is like such an important term in that group, which is like, I can't be, I can't, it's not enough for me to be like, look, I think it's wrong and then not do anything. They're like, no, you have to actively go out and try to change these institutions. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's what, you know, whether or not, and that's why this is an ongoing discussion, which is like, Mm -hmm. which is the more helpful approach here? You know what I mean? Is it, or, or which is the, which is the approach that makes the most sense? I think that obviously if you think, I mean, if you're someone like me, I might have my personal politics, you think that the situation in the United States is completely unsustainable, that it's like, look, you have to, we're, when no one is going to move forward, to create the kind of community social environment that we all would like to live in if not every member of the community feels like they can participate equally. That's, right. you know, th- that's unsustainable and it needs to change and almost nothing else can happen until that ch- happens. Um, that's, you know, if you have my personal politics, you believe that, but I can appreciate that there's a reasonable amount of disagreement in that space where people don't necessarily feel that 
that's exactly the same. Some of them feel like, look, why not? This is just a self-elect act to get into politics. That's what you ought to do. I think America's based on the idea of supporting those types of disagreements. Yeah, I think that a lot of it comes down to people arguing over words um, when there's really yeah. injustice going on that needs to be dealt with. And so that's exactly that kind of frame, saying. like mm-hmm. that kind of uh, framework gets in the way of advancement out of constructive conversation. I mean, even even in my marriage, like we, we argue about things and then we're like, oh, it's just the way we're defining it. We're actually talking about the same thing. And yeah, we both hate that. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, you know, part of the issue is this wouldn't be a problem, meaning that, the, you know, the, the, the la- however you want to describe the left, but like, you know, the idea of, of someone being an anti-racist and having activity, need to take action wouldn't be such an issue, except that we live in an era in which um, meaningless symbolic gestures uh, are given a lot of weight. And so it's, this is part of the reason why I think the Power Bible is really important. And Facebook added a care control. button. Yeah, like who gives, you know what I mean? Like you're not doing anything. Like no physical person right. was, and, and I hate to say this, but like this is even true. Uh, I don't think this is true writ large of the protests that took pl- mm-hmm. place, um, you know, this past year and over the summer um, result, you know, that came from George Floyd and the Amar- Arbery situation. I don't think it's true of them writ large, meaning against all of them. But I do think it's true in the sense that there are a number of symbolic protests that take place that don't actually mean anything. Where like you, you know, it's a lot of, it's a, what's that quote from Shakespeare, sound and fury signifying nothing. Like it's, it's, yeah. these are, these are sometimes, like uh, here's a good example, the black square on um, Instagram. Did you, you remember that? Everybody had- Oh yeah, the blackout, fried, bracket, blackout, yeah. What was the purpose of this? Like, it, it's I a, I don't know. It's easy for someone, I will say this. It's easy for someone to listen to me and go, oh, this white guy, he doesn't get it. I mean, I put a black tile on my Instagram, but like- I did too, but I also feel like, I did the same yeah. thing and I'm still like, what What did that serve? Did it help anybody? Did it help, did it? Did anybody no. feel safer? Did anybody feel more supported? Like, I just, the, the you know, the, the, the problem with living in this era is that the, the frames are so loosely and inconclusively defined that they can be jumped through and no real progress can be made. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, what, what's important in the power Bible and just to use this to reflect on the situation is the yeah. first half of the book we devote to understanding your own internal frame, you know what I mean? And then articulating so that secondly into the world. Yeah. That's, that's how you create meaningful change in your life. Right. And we define power in the book as the ability to affect meaningful change in the world. So That's so key because if you can't communicate with the world, if you just are like, ah, I'm tired, I'm done with it, I'm going to go in my own little bubble, you're not helping, you're not going to be able to affect any change. No, and I would say for your listeners who are people who are, you know, I'm sure starting companies and excited mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, paradigm shifting, trying to understand what happens. I would define a business as a, as a hypothesis that someone is working out in the world. So there's a problem. Ooh, I think this that is, is good. a solution. Yeah, that is good. here's a problem. I think there's a solution. I'm going to try to go prove that in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, experimentation is so important to business and the ability to, like, we, I hate the word iterate, honestly, I can't stand it. But like, because just, it, people just say it ad nauseum, but Right. But, but that's what it is. I mean, the ability to just go, can I solve the problem this way? Okay. Can I solve it this way? Okay. Can I solve it this way? And just mm-hmm. doing it a number of different ways. That's how entrepreneurs create businesses and how those businesses work their way out in the world. So right. it's important to have this kind of experimentation, but 
The second part of this is that you're attempting to articulate this. You're making a meaningful change in the world. You need to have some power. And, the, and, the, and all power originally starts with power over yourself and then works its way outward. So let me give you a perfect example um, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement and defund the police, because this, this is really, I think this is extremely important. There are a number, my family is very split in terms of like Democrats and Republicans. And there are a number of Republican uh, family members who I have who, when they hear defund the police, have a knee-jerk reaction that's like, not, this is ridiculous. These people are, um, they're anarchists. They're, you know, they want to, they're communists. They want to defund the government. They want to dismantle our way of life. That's how they see this situation. That's the mental furniture that's in their brain. That's me getting on stage and trying to write a joke about, de about defunding the police and people hearing, mm -hmm. take apart our government, take apart my way of life. But what they want to say is the police are overvalued and overfunded. And the reason they're overfunded is because their mission creep has gotten to a point where they're taking on tasks that are actually probably better handled by other functions of government, which have been removed in the past, such as community mental health um, support and um, homelessness uh, support. And, right. and, so the, and the, the yeah, way social work. Yeah, the way they're viewing it is different. Correct. So if, yeah, so if I have a conversation with my conservative relatives wherein I want to make the point that the police overreach has gotten too far and its scope is beyond the mission statement, you know, it's, we've gotten too far into mission creep, I don't use the term defund the police. I say police reform. We need to get into police reform. The police need to be reformed as an institution. And a number of them, after walking them through that conversation, will go, okay, yeah, I'll agree with that. Like, I don't think the police need to, you know, if somebody's, if a homeless person is on the side of the road talking to himself and he doesn't have a weapon and he's not hurting anybody, calling the police to come and arrest this guy, I don't think that's going to help anybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe we need a different group to handle that. Many people in the defund the police movement have that exact, like, I mean, some people are very radical in that movement and just want to get rid of them altogether. But many people, most reasonable people have that belief. And if you articulated that belief using the mental furniture of the people on the opposite side of the political spectrum, the progress you would make in the conversation winning them over would be a lot greater. And that is yeah. a conversation that matters. I see what you're saying. So in terms of these people, in terms of people taking control of the conversation, right, as founders, as people reaching out to grow their network, meet new people, how does the personal positioning come into this? And how would you say they can – Put themselves in a position where they're an expert on a subject well i mean that's a good question i think the first is you're going to have to actually develop a unique perspective i mean i think that uh jeff gitomer has a book called the little red book of sales and i read it like 10 years ago i want to say when i first started doing sales i was like i should probably learn something about sales and the number one thing in the book, me when i started working in marketing <laughs> yeah i should probably learn something about marketing <laughs> I should probably figure this out I got a job at this company. Yeah, my background's it. in biochemistry, chemical engineering. Like, I should, yeah, I should probably <laughs> learn something about my job. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, well, if Donald Trump has shown us anything, it's that you can get to the top of the job and not know a thing about it. <laughs> so, so, so I think regardless of your politics, he was never in a politician before. So anyway, <laughs> where this is going uh, basically is that Jeff Gitomer his little red book of sales has like a series of steps that you have to take, you know, if you want to be a successful salesperson. And the number, the first one is get sold. And I really love that. I think about that a lot because 
you have to really believe in, in terms of sales, you have to really believe in the thing that you're selling. Right. You have to really understand that this is true. And that's mm -hmm. why the entire first part of the power Bible is devoted to understanding your own, um, your, your own inner frame. And we, you know, we really like the concept of, uh, of anti-fragility and I forget who developed that book. I'll remember it in one second, but the, the concept essentially is that I think is it, uh, I'll remember it in a second, but okay. you want to develop this concept of anti-fragility. So experiment, try stuff, learn stuff. Like, right. so if you want to become an expert in a certain area, you're going to have to have a lot of deep knowledge on it. Now, whether or not that's, you know, 10, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, you know, the, the ability to put yourself in a position where you're essentially learning quickly, trying out new things, um, getting that kind of feedback. And then the second part I would say, especially if you want to produce some kind of expertise is then by there, then beginning to produce content around it. And that content ultimately firstly is self-serving. The reason I say produce this stuff is because you want to type up or write out or you actually want to produce something outside of yourself that reflects back to you what you actually know about the thing that you're doing. You can walk around with this stuff filtering around your head a lot, but you know, and maybe you have a different personality type than I do, but I'm a, you know, an extrovert ENFP, I type on the disc method, whichever one you say, I have to actually have a conversation. I have to produce something in order to recognize that I was like, Oh, actually I do know a thing about this, but you know, yeah. maybe you don't have to do that, but the idea is to get it out of oh, your no, brain. I definitely, I definitely have to write it down. If I don't write it down, man, it's just, it's just neurons firing. You know, if you write it down, then you can reflect on it. Reflection is key. You have to be able to see. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to, you know, what I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I would write down like my goals, for example, I'd write down the same goals every morning of a, of a, you know, I mean, it's a, a huge one. waste. It's a huge waste of paper. I mean, <laughs> hey, honest. man, I have sticky notes everywhere. I mean, I have sticky notes on the back of my keyboard here. Just. <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing. If I have to remember something, I'll put a sticky note on the computer screen. Yeah. But right in the, the center, then you just you cannot avoid that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, that's right. I have to go pick my child up four hours ago. Ah. Uh, so, the you know the 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 point that I'm making though is you know just reflecting that and getting that back to you is a good way to, to kind of start absorbing that stuff. And, you know, I, if for somebody who's out there, I you know there's a lot of people, I think, in this community of entrepreneurs and community of, mm -hmm. um, you know, creative types who have a lot of self-doubt and they have a lot of like, this big question of like, I don't know, can I do it? Do I feel like I can do it? I think yeah. the, well, they're pushing the themselves and they're the ones that fail. They're the ones that get out there. They may yeah. have had a startup that didn't work out. You know, they may have gone under. Well, everything doesn't work out until it does. That's a really good, I would just encourage everybody to remember that because, you know, there's a lot of, there are ultimately, I mean, this is a metaphysical question. There are more ways for things not to work than there are ways for things to work. Right. And, you know, the job of an entrepreneur is wielding chaos, is taking amorphous chaos and making order out of it. And it wouldn't be, you know, the reason the opportunity is there because is because somebody else hasn't already done that. You know, so that's why it's difficult to do every day. And the amount of self-doubt that you have is reasonable if you're a reasonable person. If, you're, if you don't have any self-doubt, then this doesn't apply to you. You're probably already successful. And you're also probably a psychopath. I was literally going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, by the way, if I could do this whole thing again, if I could, if I could be born again and come back, I would, I would choose psychopathy every time. Like, it would be the best. Being a sociopath is that you have a superpower. You know what I mean? 
everything that goes wrong is someone else's fault and you're the one who produces Not everything great problem. and yeah. you don't care about hurting people that's i that's amazing like I, I i mean you're you would be a horrible person no doubt you're a terrible person but you don't care about that like <laughs> if you were a sociopath you would not care that you were a sociopath exactly so the point that i'm making though is the rule of experimentation that i really like and james altucher calls this the rule of ten thousand experiments is mm -hmm. when you start experimenting you're going to get feedback one way or another that's going to tell mm -hmm. you a lot and it's going to tell you how to succeed it's going to tell you how to fail it's going to tell you a lot about what you're what you're going to do next and how it's going to work it's going to stretch your edge and you're gonna learn something about yourself. And when you become the person, and this is some power Bible stuff right here, when you become that person, when you think about yourself as the kind of person who just continues to experiment, at first it'll be like everything's failing, but then you identify with the hustle. Then you begin identifying with the success. And then you'll begin, I'm not just the guy who does 10,000 experiments, I'm the guy who finds the one light bulb that actually works. Like that's, that's the mental shift that you need to go through. And that changes you at the level of identity. And people who are afraid, who are feeling the fear of, of the trepidation of walking through that, that threshold into the place where they're changing themselves, that's a real fear. And we talk about that in the Power Bible, is it, it, you, who you were, who you are in terms of who you were, was extremely important to your identity socially, that we evolved in an environment with, which had at most 150, maybe 200 people for the broadest part of hu human evolutionary time since we were, you know, Australopithecus afarensis, it's millions of years of time. And the, yeah. the, the issue is that our brains were not meant to exist in this environment. Human civilization is at, at best 100,000 years old. Like almost none of this has happened. We're, we're left with hardware that's from a completely different environment. It's why people have knee problems and foot problems is because your feet and knees evolved from creatures that used to hang yeah. out in the trees. So back and then, then you, you had to you had to get out there and and fight or else you were gonna starve. So for somebody who doesn't have to but they want to, say say here's an example. So you have a founder or or somebody with an idea and they've never really experienced a big failure, a big loss that's that started this process of just accepting who you are and building on that. What would you say how how should they get across that line, across that barrier? <laughs> The question you're asking is you have a founder who's never experienced big loss. And Maybe not a founder wasn't the right word. An entrepreneur yeah. who wants to start a company. They, they have an idea, but they want to start this process of grinding, you know, getting out there, trying, get, gathering data, and then improving on themselves. Yeah, well, here's well, I avoided so here's, using the word iterate. Yeah, <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> the, um, I mean, look, here's the way that I would do it. I would write down... I mean, depending on what the business is, I would write down, here's 10 crazy ideas that I think might not work. Like, it, but if they did, it would be crazy. Mm -hmm. And then I would do all 10 of them. I Try would put down out. on the calendar. I like that. Each, a time to do each one of them. And I mean, make sure that you're, I mean, this is yeah. just, the, this is just, you know, business savvy 101 is just make sure that your downside is limited on any one of those. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, but, but things like reputation management, the people overestimate the value of these kinds of things. I mean, unless literally you're like Donald Trump and your entire net worth is just wrapped up in your name and, and, yeah. and reputation, you, you're fine. You will be yeah. fine. You will come back. You know what I mean? But make sure you can limit the amount of visit, I mean, financial exposure that you might have to have because of this idea and then attack the ideas you don't think work. I mean, one of the things that Bill and I did, and this is how we got the relationship with James Altucher, we started writing an email every day to somebody we didn't think who would respond to us. We were like whatever. We're just going to write an email. We're going to send it out to the ether. 
And if nobody writes back, then exactly what I thought was going to happen happened. And if somebody right. did write back, now I'm in that reality. So, you know, funny. I've been doing that. I've not been doing that every day, but I've been doing that for a long time. Just sending out random you emails. Be, you will be surprised by the things that work out. There we go. If you did it in three months, you would be drowning in relationships with really high value people, basically. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice, though. Ten things that you don't think will happen and just try to do them. But yeah, well, the, yeah. going on the point you were you said about that, like to negate the, the financial impact they could have. I think people put way too much weight on reputation on, oh, yeah. like you said, they, what would you say the, the value of your reputation and personal positioning is in terms of putting yourself out there and failing? I don't care. I mean, <laughs> you think I care? I'm a stand-up comic. I get up and fail all the time. Like yeah. most jokes are not funny. People most feel like the internet's forever, funny. right? They've been told yeah. forever. Like, don't put that picture on Facebook. It'll be there when they're going to search through your job application. Like, yeah, here's the truth. That's what I was Only thinking. you will remember your failures. Um, everyone else will remember, remember your And successes. Facebook when they remember five years yeah. ago. You... <laughs> hey, man, you remember five years ago when you were in love? <laughs> like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Facebook. I'm happily I guess married I didn't get and have a kid now. Thanks, Facebook. <laughs> didn't get, I guess I didn't remember, uh, you know, I guess I didn't get this enough when I was 12 years old from middle school pulleys. Uh, you're... So, so, I mean, here's the, here's the thing, you know, my philosophy comes from the world of comedy. I'm going to get up every night. I'm going to grind. I'm going to try material until I know it doesn't work or until right. I figure out how to get it to work. That's the commitment you need to be an entrepreneur is it's extremely frustrating. It's hard to right. do. And that's what you need to do. You just need to experiment. I mean, and, and, the, and, and you will, my advice is this, you will learn more. So let's say you go through this experiment where you go, I'm going to try 10 things, Brendan. I'm going to see if they're going to work out. None of them work out. Zero of them. You try all 10 of them and you're committed to them working and zero of them work out. Okay, go write 10 more. And now you got so much knowledge from the first 10 that I get, that now I almost guarantee you one of these 10 is going to work out. Probably what will really happen is by the time you get to number four or five, you're like, I know for a fact that the next five or six are not going to work out for these reasons that I've learned. So I got to go back to the drawing board now and work this up. That's how this stuff works. And yeah, I mean, that's at least that's been my experience of it. That's great. I, I highly recommend that for our listeners. And I want to know from your personal experience, I know that you have worked in a bunch of different situations. You worked overseas in the embassy and in France, right? Yep. But how would you say you've used your, your network and your personal experience to your advantage? I mean, getting the book forwarded by James Altucher uh, was pretty good. That's a good one. <laughs> getting on his podcast a few times. I mean, I've been on the yeah. Altucher, James Altucher show a few times now. Um, I've, been, I've been on the Comedy Central podcast. I mean, pardon me, Comedy Seller podcast. Goodness gracious. Comedy Seller podcast with Noam Gorman, who owns the Comedy Seller. It's the most famous comedy club on, probably on the whole planet. And, yeah. um, and I've been on that podcast. That came through a network connection. I've been on compound media a number of times now through network connections. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very lucky man. I've been, I can fly overseas and sleep on people's couches and guest rooms and not have to pay because I, you know, I've got really good friends that are sort of all over. So the, would you just say planet. that's, that's due to your personality and just being open to meeting people or have you put a lot of effort into cultivating different relationships across 
these different countries? Like how have you- I mean, I, I'm lucky. I have to admit this. I, this is not true for everybody and it's not true for every listener. I have a, I, w- I grew up with a dad who was extremely gregarious and a really good storyteller. And I know that I happen to have a lot of natural, you might want to call it natural talent or natural sort of, I, I'm very good at winning over other people and I'm very good at making other people feel accommodated. And I'm very good at, um, I think making them feel like they're having a good time because I'm around. So that I, I don't necessarily control that. I sound like such a, such a jerk. Yeah. I just look, Hey, look, not every one of your listeners is as good of a dude as I am. Let me tell you this this is what you could be if you read the power Bible. (laughs) If you read the power Bible, what you'd understand is that I'm awesome. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. You may not be able to be all of Brendan, but I mean, the point that I'm making is like the best you know, parts. I, I, I think I, I think I spent, especially because when I was younger, I spent a lot of focused effort trying to develop what you're going to do when you're doing improv and you're doing stand-up comedy is you're developing a unique perspective. You're developing a personality. Hopefully, that's can help win over others. You got to win over a crowd. You got to win over people that that's I spent a lot of time doing that it's a lot of it's in my bones right now so I think that some of that comes from I'm very lucky in the sense that I know not everyone has had that opportunity and so you say in your bones but there's the debate of nature versus nurture so you're saying some of it might be nature you might have been born with some more outgoing genes but nurture you started at that early age I mean even when you were at home with your dad but then you did comedy at 14 and since then you've been developing your own personal brand your personal positioning so by now you know, you're this, you're this famous, semi-famous comedian who's been on well, buddy, Comedy Central. I mean, Comedy Special. Is, let me tell you, Sam, <laughs> I'm going to mark my calendar. October 16, 2020 is the first time anybody called me famous. There you go. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you could be this good if you were grinding since 14. But people who may not have the confidence that you have, they might yeah. be founders who are new in the industry. They need to grow their network. Yeah, they fair. need to go out there good and question. make cold calls, right? Yep. So like doing that, getting yourself out there, I'm sure you had plenty of times where you were booed or, you know, just no one laughed in the audience. What? Somebody told you about that? I'm not saying that you <laughs> did. I'm just saying I'm sure you did. But like you're going to have failures and you're going to have calls where people yell at you. Yeah. But you got to do so it. You got to get data. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you can't get into it. Yeah, you got to do it. The way that um, there's a diff- there's a lot of different ways that I think about this, but, um, you know, the 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 who's the guy who I'm thinking of? Jocko Willink says, get, getting after it. You got to get after it. You got to get into getting it. after it. And um, the, the way that the founder from go Ruck, uh, describes it is embrace the suck where he's like, but you know, you can call it a lot of things. Eating the frog grinding is another, like in standup comedy, the word grinding just comes from, you go from open mic to open mic, to open mic, to open mic, to open mic. You just do them. You just do all of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a big reframe, I mean, this is true in the, in the book, we talk about this, where like, you know, this is why it's important for you to work out your inner frame is that the reframe that you take is, um, I'll get back to answering your question in one moment. I just want to say this is that one of the reframes that I did that was extremely beneficial to me is I started thinking about, oh, this isn't about a joke or an open mic. This is about jokes and open mics. Like I just need to, I'm moving the idea from this thing needs to be good to I have a process and eventually that process is going to produce good things as an emergent property of me focusing on the process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean that, that, you know, I think people who are addicted to potentially victim thinking tend to think this didn't work out. And you're like, well, it just didn't work out because that one didn't work out. Like it just, just keep doing it. Edison, you know, had a thousand light bulbs or something, but the, just to get back to answering your question about how do you cultivate this network? I think that, 
something that I've been able to do that I think is very helpful is just honestly just staying in touch for, I mean, I would recommend one thing, which is go check out six minute networking by Jordan Harbinger. It's a really six good program. Networking. It's free. Um, he's not going to, I think you share your email address with him, but it's like, he's not going to market you with bajillion things. It's, it's, it's a very simple program and it is very good for him. I mean, he's a friend. It's a, it's a great program and, um, and it works. And the second thing about it is if you just try to figure out, and I mean, again, this isn't a, this is an example of, this isn't a silver bullet, but this is a process that I'm giving you right now that will eventually work out for you. Go uh, figure out, just ask yourself this question in every conversation. What can I do that will provide value for the person I'm, I'm connected with or speaking to? And how can I, how can I help them promote their interests? And look, it might take you a thousand tries to do that. But if it took you a thousand tries before you become world-class proficient at that, at, at solving that problem, it was worth it because in three years, you'll be able to cultivate the greatest network on the planet because you just did that every time you had the opportunity. And there will, I try to remember this a lot also, Sam, there is going to be a future version of yourself. Okay. We're, we're having this conversation on 10, 16, 2020. There will be a Sam and a Brendan in 10, 16, 2021. Mm -hmm. And you and I will be those people. And unless we have some weird sci-fi channel body switching situation, I will be the Brendan in that situation and you will be the Sam in that situation. And we are a lot like those people right now. Right. We share similar bodies. We, we share similar life experiences for the most part, but we are not them, but we will be them one day. And what you want to do now is make investments in the well-being of that person. So what can I do today that'll build out a, a, an investment that that person in the future can then can reap because you're going to be them either way. So are you going to be good to them? Or are you going to be bad to them? And that's one of the things I like to try to keep in mind is I want to think about future Brendan. So if it takes me three years to get to a place where I'm world-class at cultivating, adding value to others, people's lives and, and understanding how to promote their interests, it's absolutely worth doing because in three years, that Brendan, the guy who I'm going to become is going to be amazing. And the Brendan I am now is the one who made the decision to make that happen. So do you have, do you project then what you want to be in three years or a year and then work towards achieving that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. That's why I write those goals down every morning. Do you have like an image? Like he's wearing, he's wearing a suit and tie and a jacket that Brendan. Yeah, I would say if, the, if you have an image that motivates you focus on that image. What I, what I tend to focus on mostly is a feeling of like relief or like, Oh my God, like what right now, one of my goals is I really want to have, I mean, this is true. I love Traverse city, Michigan. Big fan of Traverse City, Michigan. I encourage everybody to go there. There's a lot of direct flights. In fact, from North Carolina, you could fly from Raleigh, Durham, all the way to Traverse City, Cherry Capital Airport. And or it's an amazing, it's an amazing place. <laughs> I know, right? I'm. They should pay me. And so I'm. I love it because it's a great location. And one of the things that I want to do now is I want to buy a triplex or a duplex. I mean, pardon me, a triplex or a quadplex in that location. It's a three or four family unit home because. I'm like, you know what? I want a house in Traverse City, but I don't want to just pay for my house and have nothing else there. I'm going to buy a situation in which the house is going to pay for itself. And then anytime I ever want to go out there, I can just fly up and spend time at my house. Um, that's motivating for me. So yeah. I think about that a lot these days. You yeah. know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I don't know when that's going to happen, but whenever it does, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. Cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, I hate to do this, but I actually do need to get rolling. It's, it's Hey, no problem, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, go check out the Power Bible on Amazon.
I'll send, I'll send you the link. And I really appreciate Sam, you know, congratulations on having a kid, man. I don't know how you have this energy. You should actually think about writing an article about how you're able to balance everything right now. Cause that's really impressive to me actually. Well, and thank you. It, it comes with a lot of self-discipline. Well, <laughs> it's probably part of the reason I don't have kids is I'm not, I'm not disciplined enough. <laughs> so. I'm not saying it's enough. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I get by. All right, man, I'll let you go, you so but I really appreciate it. And uh, take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me in orbit. I'm your host and operator, Sam Hebda. This is a talk show slash podcast put on in partnership with Paradigm featuring innovative founders like you from our communities. We discuss topics ranging from venture funding to business design, strategic marketing, product development, and everything in between. Guys, hard work and dedication are no longer enough to cut it in any field or any trade. You must have a fundamental understanding of the industry, be aware of its best practices, and avenues for success if you wish to thrive rather than just survive in your market. Let in orbit arm you with the tools necessary for success. Expand your network. Develop a keen business sense. Learn from some of our other founders' mistakes. And I'm sure you'll grow professionally and personally along the way. If you're motivated to cultivate a, your business, share your ideas, and foster your entrepreneurial spirit, then the Vortex might be for you. Go check it out at paradigm.cx slash vortex. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy.